Okay. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn in them to Psalm chapter 34 as we continue a series on Sunday entitled Fear Factor. Now, I realize it's Mother's Day, so let's see if we can encourage you through this series by introducing a type of fear that is healthy for every single believer to engage in. We discovered in the last couple of weeks that the Bible clearly tells us that there is a fear that will keep us from doing those things that God would have us to do. But the Bible also speaks about a fear that will motivate us to do what God has asked us to do. We know this to be the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear is a significantly different fear than the one that would keep us from obeying God. But also notice that the fear that he is referring to is a fear that is attached to him himself, to God himself. Remember what FDR said. Franklin Delano Roosevelt told the American people at a time that was really scary in our nation's history that courage is not the absence of fear, but it's the assessment that there is something more important than fear. Fear is a reality. Fear is a natural emotion, and we talked about what that means last week, and I would encourage you to listen to that message. Fear is an emotion that each and every one of us experiences at one time or another. But the Bible throughout it, Genesis to Revelation, encourages God's people to fear not. Thou shalt not fear, the Bible says. So how do we overcome that natural reaction of fear that may be triggered by a circumstance that we find to be overwhelming, a circumstance shrouded in the unknown, the what if? How do we overcome that fear? When many Christians are asked, they'll simply reply, well, it's faith over fear. And that's true. Our faith should allow us to move through, to overcome that fear. But what does that really mean? What does that really look like? Faith in what? Myself? Because it's myself who is fearful. It is myself who has determined that the circumstance that I am faced with is greater than I am and is going to cause me harm So I need something above myself. And that faith must be attached to God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of overcoming the fears that will keep us from God. And those things that He has for us. I begin this morning with an invitation To help introduce the fear of the Lord, I I would like to begin in Psalm 34, where David is writing concerning one of his own experiences. That experience is actually found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10 through 1 Samuel 22, 2. David has found himself on the run from King Saul. And as a result, he has found himself wandering into enemy territory and now is confronted by the king of Gath. 
fearful and afraid, the Bible says, David resorted to a very unusual uh, response to overcome or to escape the terror that he faced. He acted like a madman. He began to drool. He began to act crazy by scratching at the door, the Bible says. And the king of Gath says, look, I don't know if this is the David or not that you have heard of, but this guy is certainly crazy. Get him out of here. And David then left and he ran to the cave of Abdul. And there the 400, the famous 400, met him, individuals who were all discouraged and disconnected from the society due to their allegiance to David. And it is this psalm that reflects that event. And this is the psalm that David uh, authored to encourage himself and those men to overcome their fear by inviting them to enter in to the fear of the Lord. So if you turn with me to Psalm chapter 34, I hope you're already there. We begin in verse 1. For David writes, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lion lacks and suffers hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. David begins in this a very familiar fashion, and that is with blessing the Lord, praising Him continuously. He shall bless the Lord at all times, His praises shall continuously be in his mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear of it and be glad. When we think of praising God, we often think of coming to church, being led by an awesome worship band singing to the top of our lungs, thanking God for all that He has blessed us throughout this week, throughout our lives. And that truly defines and encompasses much of our idea of the concept of praise. But for David, when David speaks about the continuing or the continuality of praising God and blessing God on a daily basis with his mouth, It is David bringing to the forefront of his mind each and every day the presence of God. David is reminding himself that God is with him through all circumstances, through all things. And God has demonstrated that through his faithfulness in the past. 
It is a way of retaining, again, the idea of the presence of God, that God is with him at this moment. And as a result, I love when people agree with me, don't you? It's fantastic. When we keep God at the forefront of our mind, knowing that He is present with us, it changes our perspective upon our circumstances each and every time. It is often when we delete God from the idea that He is with us, and we feel that we are alone, that we are overwhelmed the greatest by the fear in which we are uh, confronted with. But David said to himself very clearly that in all things I will remember the Lord. The idea of being blessing the Lord is a continual surrender to God each and every day. That David woke up each and every morning with the idea that he was going to serve and obey the Lord and the Lord's direction upon his life. The praise would be then the understanding and the reminder to David himself of all that God has done up and through that point. Remembering the past to impact the present and to shape the future. So often we forget those things that God has done on our behalf in the past. Somehow, some way that the present uh, affliction, the present fear that we are experiencing is excluded from the history that we have with God and the experiences that we have uh, had with God in the past. And somehow, some way, this is different. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He was with us then, He is with us now. If He's going to be with us now, He's going to be with us tomorrow. That doesn't change. And that is what David is bringing to the forefront. He's keeping God at the forefront of his mind. He's reminding himself each and every day that God is with me, submitting himself unto God, surrendering himself to God, saying, God, I will be obedient to you. In the New Testament, you will often find the New Testament writers taking the principles of the Old Testament and bringing them into uh, the Christian covenant of the new covenant under Christ, helping us to understand how we may apply them today as the Old Testament saints applied them in their lives. There's always reason to praise God in our lives. No matter what we experience, no matter what we encounter, there's always reason to praise God. For example, one of the reasons we can praise God is knowing that everything that we experience in life is working together for our good. Notice with me in Romans 8.28, should be on the screen behind me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, if you haven't, please understand that after 30 years of studying the Bible, I have discovered that sometimes the smallest words in the Bible have the greatest impact. 
The word all there should not be skimmed over quickly. It means everything. All, here it is, the epiphany of the morning, means all, okay? It means everything that I go through, God is using to bring about good. That good is articulated in the next verse where it says I'm being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God is using the circumstances in front of me to create a character in me that resembles that of Christ. Bringing me back to the way I was always meant to be before the fall of man. But the New Testament also encourages us in Ephesians 5.20. When Paul writes, he says, Give thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The thankfulness allows us to walk in an attitude of gratitude before the Lord. Nothing will overwhelm you more than entering into a difficult situation from the position of pessimism, right? If you're already pessimistic, if you're already uh, the characteristic of, you know, glum, you know, and you're already that individual, woe is me, Eeyore. That's what I call it, the spirit of Eeyore. Then you'll realize that what you're facing is only going to contribute more greatly to your demise. But being thankful changes again your perspective. It changes your mind and helps you to understand that what you are experiencing again is only another component in the word all that we read just earlier. It helps us to understand that God is doing something in me that is beyond my capability of understanding. And He's decided to allow me to experience this. He's allowed me to walk through this, promising that He's with me through it, that I'm not alone, that He'll never leave me nor forsake me, and at the end of it all, I'll be better off than I was before. This is why Paul then went on in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 to say, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It is God's will for us that we be thankful. And we can be when we understand what God is doing in and through our lives. This is what is encapsulated in all that David is saying in these first three verses. Now notice with me in verse 3 that this attitude, this perspective that he is living out is not only meant to be contained to him, but also is meant to impact others around him. Allowing others to see God in and through our lives. A concept that is clearly articulated in the New Testament. We are meant to be representatives of Jesus here on this earth. Paul called us ambassadors. Ones who are uh, aligned with the king for the purpose of introducing the king to the world around us. But David saw that his attitude, the forefront of God in his knowledge would have an impact on those around him. When we come to church, we should always look to lift each other up, to encourage each other. Sometimes, I'll be honest, I even come through the front doors of this church dragging. It may have been a hard week. 
Maybe I realized once again that God still has a lot of work yet left to do in me. But when I come in here and I see each and every one of you, I'm encouraged just by being with you. When I hear about what God's doing in your life, I'm encouraged by it. When I hear someone say, hey, pastor, I've been praying for you all week, I am so grateful and thankful for that, that you know, being conscientious of me in their daily life and willing to pray for me. If we would make it a purpose to lift each other up each and every Sunday, purposely going out of our way to look for opportunities to lift others up, you're going to find something extraordinary happening in the wake of that. God will lift you up and encourage you. Often, I'm encouraged just by getting my eyes off of my own problems for a while and helping others, assisting others. David then, surrounded by the 400 in that cave, realized that he needed to lead by being an example. And he said, I keep God at the forefront of my mind, reminding myself always through the praise and the memories of his past experiences with God to encourage others around me. For in Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, it says that those 400 were discouraged, disconnected, distressed from the experiences that they had in the world. And David, as a true leader, one who learned from the very beginning as being a shepherd himself, that he needed to be there for others. Because all of us wrestle with fear. And each one of us at any given time need the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us through that fear. That time that we may be fearful, we can encourage others as they are fearful and they can encourage us. When someone comes to you and they're in fear, Remember those moments that you were in fear and how important it was to know that somebody was with you at that moment. But then David gives us some practical things in which he has done to help him prepare for the next fear in which he would experience. There's always another one. There's always some circumstance that is yet to come in our lives that will generate fear within us. So we must be proactive. We must prepare ourselves. And here David gives us the steps by which we can do that. We know that just walking through life itself, the Bible is clear to indicate to us that fear is part of our daily life. That there will be circumstances in life that will generate fear within us. Being proactive, how can we prepare ourselves for those moments? And it all begins in verse 4. This proactive approach to fear. David says, first, number one, I sought the Lord and He heard me. The moment we are confronted with a fearful situation... And you feel that anxiety build, that worry build within you. And you feel panicked. Our first resort, our first choice, 
should be to go to the Lord. Now, unfortunately, many Christians, they wait until that moment and then they turn to God for his help. There's nothing wrong with that. We should always turn to God for our help. But Christians who seem to have a more, uh, a more confident approach to fear are Christians who have prepared themselves before they encountered that moment of fear. Already cultivating that relationship with God each and every day, training themselves to go to God first and foremost. Spending time with Him each and every day in His Word and in prayer. Cultivating that intimacy with God through those things. And again, the Christianity that I speak of each and every Sunday is a Christianity of relationship with God. And then when fear comes, and those situations that would generate fear arrive, my first instinct will already to be to go to God. Not go to Google. If it's a medical issue, not running to WebMD. And that's one of the worst things you could possibly do, isn't it? You know, I woke up with this pain, and then you start scrolling through the symptoms, and, and you put them in, and then all of a sudden it lists all of these other symptoms, and yeah. I didn't realize, but I think I got that one too. I've got this one. I've got this one. Holy cow, I've got monkey fever. Four cases per year, but I got it here in Schaumburg. We need to to have that natural inclination to go to God first. The word sought there means to inquire of God as one would inquire of a counselor. God, what would you have me to do? God, what is your thoughts on this? What is your input on this? As we naturally react with a physiological response such as fear, a spiritual response can then uh, overcome that physiological response By allowing God to minister to our heart. He brings us to a passage of Scripture that would encourage us. He brings us into the fellowship of others that may encourage us. May I suggest that the next time you feel fearful, don't stay home and isolate yourself from fellowship. That's the worst thing you can do. It'll only weigh on your mind in a greater fashion, in a greater way. Come to church. Praise God for those things you, re- you know you can praise Him for. Hear the Word of God and let God's Word do a work within you. I can't tell you how often people have said to me, I was just going through a terrible time and I just needed to stay home and gather my thoughts and things just got worse and I was seeking God but there wasn't an answer to come. And then I hear about their problem and I said, hey, did you listen to the message from last week? Because God through His Word already anticipated your need and would have ministered to you if you would have been here. Don't isolate yourself Engage yourself in fellowship. But first and foremost, know that if we inquire of the Lord, He will hear us. 
The word heard there is not simply to hear audibly, but it is to understand. He knows the background. He knows everything that's occurring. He knows everything that's happening with your life, and He is with you through it. But it also entails Him responding and acting upon our request. And again, this is very important that we understand that this If we cultivate this each and every day, when we come to this point, it will be so much easier to turn to God at that moment. Notice what he says here. Not only does he hear us, but number two, he then delivered me, brought me through from all of my fears. Again, David is saying that I was still fearful, but the Lord brought me through it. There are times that when we, even when we rely on faith to see us through a difficult circumstance, fear might accompany that. It's not allowing that fear to separate us from God. It's not allowing that fear to stop us in the process. It's not allowing that fear to take us captive. But allowing God to overcome that fear and delivering us and walking us through that difficulty within our life. And notice verse 5, very interesting. And they looked to him, speaking of the 400 that were with him. And they were radiant, joyful, and their faces were not ashamed. How is it possible to experience joy at a time when we are overwhelmed by fear? There's an interesting verse in the New Testament that has caused many to to wonder. It's found in Hebrews 12, 2. Looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we're all familiar with that portion, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame as he and has, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for whom the joy that was set before him. That's odd, isn't it? How could anyone look at the brutality of the cross with joy? Why? Because Jesus saw through the cross. He saw past the cross. He saw the resurrection. He saw the salvation of you and I. He saw the work of God being completed here on this earth so he could shout those three words, it is finished. That's what he saw. He saw the kingdom of God established here on this earth. He saw the vanquishing of Satan himself. And though he was fearful to the point that he he sweat blood in the garden prior to his crucifixion, he begged the Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from my hands. And yet, joy was in his heart knowing that in and through the cross, he was going to win. And as a result, we win. And that's why we can look at those circumstances that would normally generate fear within us and look at it and say, joy, the Lord is with me. All things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And God is going to see me through it. And I can see on the other side that God's going to do something great. So we can be joyful at those moments. And that's exactly what happened in the mind and in the hearts of these individuals that David was with. Notice with me in verse 6. This poor man or afflicted man cried out, and the Lord heard him. 
and saved him out of all of his troubles. What's that word again? What does that mean? All. God is going to see us through every single trouble in which we experience. Now, he's not saying he's going to spare us the inconvenience and the difficulty that those trials, troubles, and tribulations may bring, but he'll see us through them. And he is working in and through them for his purposes. The word saved is meaning that he is brought through and bettered at, through the process and now stands better than he was before he entered that difficulty. And then verse 7. Notice we are not alone. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. The term angel of the Lord is a term for an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. It's called a theophany. Jesus existed before his birth in Bethlehem. John clearly tells us that in John chapter 1. But we are not alone in this process. We are not alone in this life. And the process that I'm referring to is the process of our sanctification, us conforming into the image of Jesus Christ. We're not alone in this. For I never will leave you nor forsake you is a promise made to every believer in Jesus Christ. And knowing God is with us can have an extraordinary impact upon our perspective. I've said this, but I think it's important repeating before. When I became a parent and Autumn was born, while I, before having her, I really believed that I was the most impaired person when it came to children. All my friends were married before I was. They were all having children. They all wanted to hand their children to me. Oh, go see Uncle Eric. I was like, oh, you know what? I got to go and wash my hair. I just didn't ever consider myself a kid person. You know, and even after we had autumn, when I got diaper changing down to 30 minutes, I thought I was successful. But something happens when you have your first child. God instills a love in your heart that you didn't even think was possible for that, that child. Shortly after Autumn was born, within her first year, she became very ill. She was running a very high fever. She woke up in the middle of the night, and it was kind of scary. We were new parents. The church had started just... Uh, had really just started. We didn't have health insurance at that time. So we were afraid to take her to the ER thinking that we'd be overwhelmed by the bills. And we were holding her in her nursery and she was just burning up. And finally we just said, you know what, we're just going to have to trust the Lord. And we got in the car in the middle of the night and we took her to the emergency room. And she was just about one years old. So she had enough awareness to see that something scary was happening all around her. And being new parents, we were, of course, terrified. We never saw her that sick. And as the doctors were looking her over and so forth, they, took her, they separated us from her, took her in a room, 
to examine her more thoroughly. And we could hear her crying from where we were. I I still feel the pain of that when I think of it. That's my child. And finally, she was so upset that they came out and they asked one of us to go in. And I went in and there she was laying on the bed, just crying. Her eyes were swollen. She was so miserable. And all I could do as her dad to comfort her was to hold her hand. And I grabbed her hand and I said, Honey, I'm here. And she stopped crying. She had a severe urinary tract infection. That's all it was. She definitely needed medication or it could have gotten worse. But I'll never forget that moment of simply holding her hand and her settling in her spirit and in her heart. That's all I could do for her as a dad. I couldn't do anything more, but I could be with her, letting her know that she is not alone. That's what our Father does for us each and every day. Paul the Apostle brought us into a realization that God is no longer this distant deity that has no interaction with His creation. That He isn't hidden behind a curtain of separation due to His holiness and our failing sinfulness. In Romans, He told that each and every believer in and through Jesus Christ, Christ who you know, redeems us and brings us closer and, I say, connected again, reconciled again with the Father, can call God the Father, Abba, Daddy. And when we go through hard, difficult times and when we are experiencing fear, don't ever let Satan tell you that you are alone. Your dad is holding your hand the whole way through, no matter what you experience. We are never alone in our moments of fear and don't ever believe the lie that we are. And then the invitation is given in verses 8 through 10. The invitation begins with, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David says this because he reminds, he's reminded of the fact that when he was a shepherd boy, God was with him. When he was overseeing his father's sheep, his flocks, and the lion came and David had to resist him. And when the bear came, then David had to resist him to protect the sheep. And when the time came that Goliath instilled fear in all of the soldiers of Israel's hearts, it was David who stepped up and said, Hey, God help me with the lion. God help me with the bear. God will do something for His people today. Let's see what God will do today. And David knew in his heart, even though I go through difficult times, God is good. And nothing's going to change that. And he invites us to taste. And that word taste is defined by three words that follow. Again, unfortunately, our English language is so inept compared to the Hebrew and Greek language. We use words interchangeably that often mean various different things. If I were to say to you that I love pizza, you'd probably have no problem believing that. But then if I were to follow that statement with, I love my wife, it would be easy for you to ask yourself, well, 
do you love your wife the same way you love pizza? Of course not. I love pizza. No. Uh, so when we talk about this word taste, David goes on to define it for us by using three further words. Now again, David is convinced of the character of God, for God is good. And number one, this word taste is defined by the next word found in verse 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. To truly taste of God, it requires trust. Trust is the understanding that I am leaving my fear to gain refuge in God himself. I'm taking the moment to place myself under the trust that I have in God. Trust is one of those things in our culture today that is in very short supply. We don't know who to trust. And again, the statement is true. It takes 30 years to establish a trustful relationship, and it can take 30 seconds to destroy it. But with God, again, within His consistency that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can be confident that we can trust God. So to taste Him and to truly experience Him and to see the impact of Him upon our life, which is encompassed or encapsulated in the word taste, we, number one, need to trust Him. Number two, oh, fear the Lord. Again, an invitation. You, His saints. The word fear there is this, that if we're truly going to experience the abundant goodness of God, we must fear Him. And one wrote, the person who truly fears the Lord shows reverence to Him and looks to obey Him because of who He is. When we fear the Lord, He promises to provide everything that we need. That's what this fear encompasses. We look to obey Him out of the reverence that we have for Him. Now that is completely different than the fear that would terrify us and keep us from obeying Him. And we'll unpack that more next week. But notice what he says here in verse 9 after he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want, meaning you will lack nothing to those who fear Him. And number three, this word taste is defined by the young lion lacks and suffers hunger. But those, here it is, number three, who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. And again, that word means to inquire. As one wrote, he says, the third is to receive God's bountiful blessing. We must seek the Lord. As he tended to his father's flocks and roamed the wilderness to escape Saul, David became familiar with the restless whine of hungry lions. Even the most noble beast surviving off the creatures beneath him sometimes grows weak and famished. But those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. So to taste the Lord of the Lord properly... To experience Him the way we need to experience Him requires three things. Number one, our trust of Him. Number two, our fear of Him. And number three, our seeking of Him. To truly experience God in the way that He desires us to experience Him. 
So in closing, let me leave you with this. The takeaways from our time together this morning as we begin to look at the fear of the Lord through an invitation. Number one, we should earnestly seek the Lord, asking Him to show us what to do. He should be our first go-to in all times of fearfulness and even before those times. Number two, we should boldly do as He directs, depending on His power and guidance. We need to obey the Lord. It's not enough just to hear the Lord. It's not enough just to know what the Lord wants us to do. We must obey Him. Number three, we should take our eyes off the magnitude of our problem and fix them on the Lord who is greater than our crisis. Number five, we should encourage displaying confident joy by knowing that God will deliver us. We should be encouraged and therefore be joyful that God will deliver us. Number six, we should give God the sole glory for our victories and share the testimony of His deliverance with others. Number seven, We should remember that we do not fight alone, but that God's angels are at our side to protect us. And number eight, we should always be sure that we are walking in the fear of the Lord, submitting to Him in all things, that He may help us in our time of need. This is what David was getting at and writing about. This is his intention behind this psalm. And as we have unpacked it today, now I invite you to enter into the fear of the Lord. And next week we're going to unpack the fear of the Lord because it is the beginning of wisdom. It is the beginning of knowledge. It is the beginning of restoration. It is the beginning of becoming whole. For the fear of the Lord is something that even the New Testament writers talk about, encourage, and command. There is a fear that will keep us from God. But there's another fear that will draw us to God. And that is the fear of the Lord.